we think it's super extraordinary that within two years, they were able to put on a global home education event in Moscow and St. Petersburg, attended by 900 people from over 30 countries. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Well, Andrew, welcome home. Yes. <laughs> You've been traveling quite a bit this summer. Yes, I have, into some some unusual places. Yes. Not on the normal circuit. Right. Yes, you normally travel quite a bit in North America over the homeschool convention season, but this year your travels took you all the way to Russia where you spent several days at the Global Home Education Conference. Yes, in two different cities. And it was quite an exciting trip. And because Lee Bortons was also at these events, I thought it would be great if she could join us for this conversation. Yes. And so we flew her in to have... No, wait, no. We're talking (laughs) to her. She's at home and we're here in Tulsa. So Lee, welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me on. I'm so glad to rehash that week with Andrew. It was really glorious. So we uh, we started in St. Petersburg. I know you had uh, some things you were doing before that. I took my wife with me on this trip, or she insisted that she come. <laughs> so we had four days of incredible um, relaxation, sightseeing, museum touring uh, before the conference. And you also were elsewhere before you came in. Is that right? Yes, my son William and I took a week cruise on the Volga River so we could go kind of inward into the country and see small villages and kind of the real Russia rather than just the two big cities that the Home Education Conference was held in. And we had a really good time and the Russian people are just like people everywhere. They're beautiful and wonderful and have all the same problems we do. Yes, that's what I found too. We didn't go into any rural areas. We did stay you know, in the cities. But what what hospitality, what uh, sincerity. And one thing I picked up from the people in St. Petersburg, not just the homeschoolers, but, you know, everything from, you know, the waiters to the souvenir shop people to the Uber drivers, the ones I could communicate with, <laughs> they are very proud people. They're proud of their heritage. They're proud of their country, their city. Did you find that also? Yes. And you know what? They were very caring. And so I think, I mean, they were proud of their heritage, but they wanted us to love their country because I think they think Americans just hate them overall and have really, um, you know, negative opinions. And they want that to be changed. I think they very much want to 
be in, be friends with us and uh, you know have the world think well of them. So one of the things I've shared a couple of times was that they went out of their way on the hospitality side, like you were referring to. When we got to one of our hotels, we realized we had left two suitcases between the airport and the Uber pickup, not at the airport. And the concierge who happened to understand English overheard us and he spent the next hour finding that luggage for us, which we could not have done knowing no Russian. And that was just the typical attitude of everybody was, what can I do to help you? Yes. You know, you and I are are approximately the same age. I think I may be just a year or two more older. But we grew up in the Cold War era. I mean, when we were kids, it was like the Soviet Union at any moment could destroy us. And that was kind of such a a weird juxtaposition of now we're in this country of, you know, friends and like-mindedness about freedom and the potential for the future of our world. That was one of the things that was really hard for me to overcome when we first started working with Russia, because like you remember, and Julie remembers, we hid under our desks during uh, drills Mm -hmm. in case there was a nuclear explosion, you know, when we were at school. And, you know, as adults, we look back and say, how are those little desks going to ever help us? But there's, (laughs) you know, there's every generation has its fears. And, you know, with all the gun shootings and things that are going on and fire drills with the students today, it's not that we didn't have them. We just had a different enemy. And so now to be working with that enemy is, um, it's a paradigm that you have to shift. It has been for us. Now, when did you first become aware that there were actually homeschoolers in Russia? Because when I heard that, I thought, How is that even possible? So back in, I think it was 2012, at the Global Home Education Conference in Germany, some Russians attended to learn more about homeschooling, and they turned out to be the same Russians that we're working with right now. They were very interested in home education, but we didn't really realize how interested until the two years later, no, four years later, in 2016, at the Global Home Education Conference in Brazil, they returned and were really ready to get homeschooling in a big way going in Russia. And so we have spent the last two years with them and we're just really happy with what's happening. And we think it's super extraordinary that within two years, they were able to put on a global home education event in Moscow and St. Petersburg, attended by you know about 900 people from over 30 countries. And to see how their legisla- legislators, as well as their educational leaders, have such a great commitment to homeschooling and how supported they are by the church there was really wonderful. So, yes, I was completely blown away, astounded, amazed at what the Russian government people who came to the Global Home Education Conference in Moscow were saying, which is essentially, Russia is great because Russia is free, and you homeschoolers are part of what makes Russia great because you are educating your children with excellence, and we applaud you. I I thought, I don't know if we'd find a single congressman in this country who would publicly stand up and say that. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I think about the homeschooling events we've had. When we go to the Capitol, sure, they say nice things, but that's because anytime their constituents show up on their footsteps, they do say, you know, they give prizes to all kinds of people. It was just their level of commitment that I found so interesting. Yes. And 
Alexi and Irina uh, are mutual friends, the ones who you met initially in Germany, and then they came over to the States several times to work on the whole plan of the conference and getting classical conversations going in Russia. Alexi has all sorts of amazing connections, and Irina is like kind of nationally famous. I understand she's been on talk shows and television shows and parent magazine person of the year kind of acknowledgement. Uh, they came in, if I, if I recall correctly, they kind of came into homeschooling through work with the family. They had the World Congress of Families meeting at the Kremlin, and this idea of homeschooling kind of grew from that. And now they've got, uh, I don't know what the most recent count is, but you do. How many classical conversations communities are we going to see this coming school year in Russia? So last year they had 26, and that was their first year. This year they have 100 churches committed to supporting our communities of homeschoolers, who of course will use the IEW curriculum that's being translated into Russian. And I just really thank you for allowing that to happen, as well as our curriculum. And, you know, the probably the most important thing that happened to me when I was in Russia was after the um, global home education event, I had my own homeschooling event for classical con- people interested in classical conversations, as well as for our um, Russian leaders. And I just didn't really realize the extent of it. And when I was working with the leadership training seminars to discover that 12 different individuals, men and women, who are now classical conversation leaders, flew in from the Far East, from the Ural Mountains, from Siberia. And to just think about just how far-reaching homeschooling is in the sense of this, especially classical Christian homeschooling and their hunger for it, these are not wealthy people. And they flew 8, 12 hours in order to come to a three-day conference as well as the four-day Global Home Education Conference. It it took a lot of their personal resources to make that happen. And it reminds me of the pioneer days of homeschooling in this country. So it was just really gratifying to see that the love of the Lord and the love of their families was just so strong. Yes, and of course, the classical conversations, I'm sure you don't call it a motto, but your, your basic statement of purpose is to know Christ and make him known. And you're not, you're not hiding that in the Russian curriculum at all, I'm sure. No, in fact, that was one of the reasons they were attracted to us is because the church is so important in their daily lives and they wanted it to be Christian education. So that's been also very interesting to us that Father Dmitry Smirnov, who's the, uh, the Archpatriarch for um, Education in the Russian Orthodox Church, has committed a number of times to, uh, publicly to supporting homeschooling as actually the better way to educate children. And, you know, he's got the ear of Putin as well as the head of the Orthodox Church, and he's on TV all the time, has his own radio show, and so... It's phenomenal. Wow. Yes, he's quite the character, too. I wished that the translation had been maybe a little more fluent because I felt I was missing a lot from his Russian to my English earphone. But uh, one thing he said I thought was quite a funny analogy. He said, you know, parents put their children in schools like they throw their luggage in a bus. And then when they get to their destination and it comes out damaged— they wonder why. 
Yeah, and so he, he is very funny, and he tried to be relatable to our language. But that is interesting about just in general translations, whether it was at Brazil or Germany or Russia. We know we're not getting quite what they said because they're speaking fast. There's a lot of topics. The translators aren't familiar with our lingo. They kept calling my business classical talks. But yet you know that the heart of the message was getting through accurately because the conferences are set up so you don't just listen to the people. More than half the time is spent in the halls and at meals and traveling um, and having small conferences and to really get to know the people. And so I just appreciate that model that Homeschool Legal Defense Association has put together. Um, they too are a sponsor. And uh, you know they want it so that you get this kind of aha effect with the legislators, but they want the homeschooling families and the locals to actually mix with one another. And they do that very well. Oh, I think so many of them were grateful to meet other people interested in homeschooling or already homeschooling or hoping to homeschool in cities, you know, they never been to. Uh, And you saw all these kind of new friendships popping up. And there were quite a number of young people there as well, kids, both in St. Petersburg and even more in Moscow. That was really enjoyable for me. Yeah, they also highlighted how different their culture is than ours, in that um, you'll remember there was a children's playroom at the hotels that we were at, and they expected your children to be around. Uh, Even the nicest restaurants had chalkboards and um, bean bags and playrooms for the little kids that were, you know, eating. I was in one restaurant with William, and they had tricycles so the toddlers could ride their bikes around while the parents ate inside the restaurant. And so they just really do love children over there. Yeah, I got that feeling. And I I found that quite a number of the kids were very excited about trying out their English with me and telling me various things about why they were excited to homeschool and really remarkably articulate for, you know, teenagers in Russia who'd never been outside their country and had just essentially studied as best they could with the resources available. So, Lee, I I have a question for you, for both of you, about resources. I would imagine that today in Russia, the resources that they have available are far different than what they would have been, say, when we were hiding under our desks for the civil defense drills that we experienced, but also perhaps the technology is lending a hand to getting more resources to the Russians? Do you believe that's that's true? So f- from what my conversations and then some experience um, kind of led me to this thought. I- Irina originally said that, you know, they didn't really have the kind of uh, literature and the materials for the, especially the younger ages that um, we would have in the United States. And they really, you know, wanted American homeschooling curriculum to be brought over and translated into Russian. And when she said that, I said to her, but you guys have such a rich literary heritage. Mm-hmm. Don't you have books for the younger age children? And she said, well, we did, but you got to remember they were taken away from us and we had to read the communist books that were in the schools. And so that was a 
few years ago yeah. she said that to me so I went and visited bookstores and talked to them about it more recently and like there's this huge comeback occurring where they are reprinting children's books like crazy as and also just any literature and so the bookstores I went to actually had a lot of selection of materials now here's where maybe we as classicalists would differ from other homeschoolers I would look at that bookstore and say you got plenty of material you don't need any other curriculum but they don't know how to teach, which is one of the problems, of course, American parents have had. And so they want Andrew and me to write material that helps them so they can approach those books and actually teach them classically. So I just feel like it's a real privilege for us to be able to help them with this intermediate state where you're helping parents and children recover the tools of learning. So as adults and then the next generation, they can read the great classics of their country. And of course, our curriculum, both Classical Conversations and IEW, is only in English. So Irina is going to great lengths to get all of this translated. Yeah, she, you know, she's a wonderful person and she is um, so full of energy. And she's also pregnant with her fifth child while she's doing all this. Wow. <laughs> and she just has a lot of connections, a lot of resources. She knows how to do things I don't know how to do. So, for instance, when writing the curriculum, she realized it was beyond her translating abilities. So she knew what university to go and find a philologist from and work on the, you know, the big background of her own language, which has been a real joy for her because she says, hey, I'm learning Russian for the first time. And, you know, you think you know <laughs> things, but you find out you don't know them. So she just is really great at the whole process of trying to preserve the Christianity as well as the classical lingo and still bring it down to earth for that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, what do I do at home, you know, parent. So she's just been exactly. a, a real gift from God. I talked to a lot of parents who were, of course, very interested in what I was displaying. I think had we actually been selling stuff in English or Russian, they would have bought it like crazy because there's not. In fact, one father and his teenage daughter walked up, and I had a high school essay intensive, and and uh, he said, "How much for this?" And I said, "Well, I'm not selling anything here." And and his daughter got this very sad look, and <laughs> and he said, "No, how much? I will buy." And I said, "Well, I'm I'm not selling anything." He says, "Dollars or rubles? What is your price?" <laughs> and and I turned to the girl. She's probably 16, 17. I said, "Do you really want to do this course? It's it's all English." And she lit up this big smile, yes. So I figured out, okay, however many rubles, whatever. <laughs> but I, I met several people who were, I think they are just very ready to buy whatever. But that puts a lot of responsibility on us to be sure that what we create and provide is going to actually serve them. Because as you said, they're not wealthy. They're doing this sacrificially. Yeah. And that's, I think, true across the world. Whenever there's a family that is going to home educate, both of the parents have made some sort of sacrifice in time to make that happen. And that, of course, can translate into dollars lost. Well, from a, from a national perspective, certainly. One thing that I've noticed, there are a few countries, I think this was something said in Brazil two years ago, the government supports homeschooling because it saves them money. They they don't have to have as many kids in school. And so, you know, great homeschoolers uh, support your country by educating your own children. 
save us the time and trouble and expense. So what what do you think the future holds? Do you expect to go back to Russia? I would love to go back to Russia, but as I think you know, we're about to open up in Brazil and we're going through the same process and have met our Brazilian form of Alexei and Irina and are beginning the translation into Brazilian. And so I know that I'll be spending some time there within the next year to help that get launched. Um, I would love to go back to Russia, though. It was just... I just had so much fun there. And part of that was because, you know, Robin was there. I love your wife. Tell her I said hi. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she loves you too. I I also found just being in Russia, uh, this amazing presence of Christian art in public. I, I don't know if you made it over to the Kremlin and Red Square or not, but right across from Lenin's tomb, is a, a large building, kind of classical architecture. It's probably once a government building. Now it's a mall, obviously, for rich Russians and tourists. But right in the center of that mall and the main entrance was a huge picture uh, icon of the face of Christ. And then another entrance had mother and child. Another entrance had an icon of the Annunciation. And I just thought, wow, I mean, these are very present strong images of Christian culture and history and faith right there in the most public, politically charged spot in the middle of Moscow. I thought, that's just incredible that they even have that. And it seems to be growing, perhaps. Well, you know, as Cold War babies, I just think all my ideas were wrong. (laughs) And so, you know, maybe they were true in the past, but not anymore, because I saw the same thing. In fact, Robin and I had a conversation. She and I went to the equivalent of their Smithsonian and were, you know, enjoying the exhibits. And she just kind of grabbed me and said, can you imagine going to our Smithsonian and being told at every exhibit that this is because of God? And like, it was just astounding, the Christian message that they're so willing to um, just help everybody. They really are sharing the gospel. I hope I get to go back to Russia at some point. We, of course, have our teaching, writing, instruction, style, seminar workbook entirely translated. You and I did some video training with Irina on Sunday after the conference in Moscow. So they'll have that. I would love to see, once she gets past uh, the uh, birth of her fifth child, a more extensive video course available for them. And of course, we've been working on Portuguese as well. So I think it's very, very exciting to see these parents coming kind of out of the, I don't know, jungles and cities and places you would never imagine all around the world saying, yes, we want to embrace this, um, you know, this ancient and excellent form of educating our own children at home. Yes. And I have to apologize. I said Brazilian earlier. I do know they speak Portuguese. So (laughs) Brazilian's not a language. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they're probably happy with, I mean, (laughs) it should be because there's more people in Brazil who speak it than anywhere else in the world. Probably, so. yes, exactly. But, uh, well, Lee, thank you so much for joining us. It's always good to talk with you, whether we're at a table at a conference enjoying a meal or across the country by microphones and earphones. I think our listeners will be very interested to see how this international develops. And the next Global Home Education Conference in 2020 will be in the Philippines. I'm really excited. And so that should be uh, kind of a an, another very different group of people and uh, people from all over the world showing up and 
You know, I met, just finishing up here, I met a guy, and maybe you met him too, from Bulgaria. I met him in, in Moscow, and he had been homeschooling for 30 years. And I said, how did you ever get the idea? And he said, well, by reading the Bible, I knew I must teach my children. I said, was there, was there anyone else you ever knew that was doing that? And he said, no. Not for 15 years did I ever hear or meet of another person. I said, well, how did your children, you know, get get into colleges or what did they do when they grew up? And he told me all about every one of his kids. He said the most interesting thing. He said, well, they did uh, some correspondence school with a organization that serves Christian missionaries. And they got a high school, international high school diploma that in Bulgaria was worth more than a diploma or a certificate from Bulgarian schools. Interesting. So they actually had more opportunities open up to them because he had taken this, surely at that time it was not just illegal, but but radically dangerous mm-hmm. path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. So the, there's so many ways to educate our children, and that's one of the things homeschoolers are so good at doing, I think, is, is finding just alternatives. And where there's a will, there's a way. And uh, we just want so much more for our children. So we're looking for, we're on the lookout. So that's a great story. I met a man in the Brazilian one who was from Japan with a similar story. He had homeschooled for 30 some years, was one of the very few Christians on the island. I said, what materials did you use? He had actually purchased English, Becca and Bob Jones curriculum for all his children, all the grades, all the materials the two companies offered, and had translated them all into Japanese himself. It wasn't his wife. It was himself doing this. So people are just astounding, wow. aren't they? They are astounding. They are. Well, our time's pretty much up, and I will look very much forward to the next time I see you, whenever that is, and we will continue our conversations about classical home education around the world. So I'll just wrap up our little conversation with one more question for you, Lee, for our listeners. If we happen to have any listeners in Russia, which we might, <laughs> we who might. knows where these podcasts go, yeah. is there a link on your website, Lee, that we can include in our show notes that would link to the Classical Conversations in the Russian communities? If you type in Classical Conversations International into your browser, you'll find not just our Russian mm-hmm. link, but our link to all the other countries that we're in. So if any listeners hear that, they'll get That's- all the resources. Perfect. And probably borrowing on that, if you are interested in seeing our teaching, writing, structure, and style seminar workbook translated into Russian or our our latest ancient history-based writing lessons that Irina has now translated into Russian, you could probably find that through the link that Lee just mentioned. So Lee, as Andrew said, it is a delight to be able to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Lee. Bye. God bless. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. 
Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudoua and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. Thank you.